Hey guys, welcome to the BMW Blog Podcast episode 57. Today, our guest is a BMW racing legend who has driven BMW cars in more races than any other driver in the world. Uh, more exactly, 339 races, 91 wins, and bringing home four championships with BMW cars. Maybe no introduction needed, but this is Bill Oberlin. Uh, it's a pleasure to have him on our podcast. Bill, uh, thanks for joining. Chuck, also, thanks for joining as well. It will be an interesting chat tonight, so please stay tuned. And once again, Bill, welcome. Well, thank you. I'll, I'm happy to be here. It's great. I mean, honestly, um, we've been trying to do this for quite some time, and I've been chasing you, but I know you're quite busy with your uh, racing career, but I appreciate taking the time. So with that being said, I'm going to jump right in. And, you know, Chuck, whenever you have any questions, feel free to jump in. It's free flow, so you don't have to wait your turn. So let's start with this, Bill, an easy one. Um, kind of build from there. How did you get started in motorsport racing? Well, long time ago, right? I, I'm looking at your faces, and I'm like, those are two young guys. This has been a long time. My dad uh, came from Germany. He was a, a German immigrant and wanted to live the American dream. So uh, when he got here, his dream was, I want to start racing motorcycles. And my thing was, I wanted to be wherever my dad was. So he was racing motorcycles, and at five years old, I started racing motorcycles, you know, in a little 60 Yamaha, and uh, grew up. Side by side with him, he was doing desert. I started doing motocross, and I did supercross. Uh, eventually, I was racing in 125. At the very end, I raced 250, and that was up to 17 years old. Uh, and at 17, even, let's, if we skip back, there's a transition period. While I was racing motorcycles, my dad met a Porsche repair shop owner, and they wanted to go racing together. So in that day, you could build a car, a Porsche 911 RSR replica, and go to IMSA and race GTU. So when I was about 13, 14 years old, that's what my dad transitioned to. So I was, my job was first sweeping the floor in the shop and then waxing the car, cleaning the parts. Uh, eventually I was put onto bigger projects uh, and worked my way up to building motors, uh, building the transmissions, doing the suspension, anything that it took to keep the car going. And when I turned 15 and I got my learner's permit, it was my brother and I driving the truck cross country to Daytona. Uh, and then we did Sebring and my dad won Sebring with that 911 RSR in 1985. So that was his highlight of his career by far. It was crazy. And when I turned 17, my dad gave me the opportunity. He said, look, uh, I'll, I'll let you drive that car. So I had made my learner's permit in racing in SECA. And uh, he gave me the opportunity. And my first professional race was the Daytona 24 Hours. And uh, we finished second together, father-son team. And it was, uh, it was a great experience. I thought, man, this racing thing is, is easy because we finished second right away. And that's when I found out in those days, if you could make it to the end on the long races, you were doing good. You were going to finish well. We got to the sprint races, and I got my clock cleaned for years and had to learn the skill and learn, you know, learn the craft and the racing craft. Took quite a few years, and then eventually started uh, winning races. Very interesting. So, even though you've raced for several automakers, um, it's fair to say that your career is kind of synonymous with uh, BMW, right? I mean, that's probably um, what everybody knows you for. So, tell me, how did you get involved with BMW? Was there a love for the brand, or how did you get started with them? Well, uh, it's it's sort of a, a weird story. Was um, uh, okay. So, my dad had the Porsche. The Porsche became uncompetitive when I started racing it. It was it, the Mazdas came in, the Dodges came in, the Chevy Berettas came in. All every other manufacturer they were upping their game. So at the time, my dad said, "Hey, look, uh, 
I can't afford this. I don't want to afford this anymore. There's the car. There's the truck. If you want to keep racing, you do it on your own. And, and I was at this point, I was now a Porsche mechanic working at a Porsche shop and we kept racing and uh, we were racing. My dad said, you could do whatever you want with that car. But at the end of the day, it was his. So it had history. It had one Sebring. So I actually sold the car right away to a, some Italian guy. He flew it over and off it went. And we bought a Mazda RX-7, a Mandeville Mazda RX-7 from Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is familiar to a, a lot of people because that's where the BMW factory is, right close to there. And uh, I brought it home. We started learning. We had no idea how to work on a rotary motor. I called Mazda. And I said, do you guys have a course on racing engines? And they, they like laughed at me. They said, no, we don't have a racing course on how to do a racing engine. And he said, but I know who you are. I've seen you race before. Let me call you back. And uh, Mazda called me back. And they said, uh, how's Tuesday, Wednesday of next week? And I said, it's great. What's going on? They said, we're going to send Fuji, our top engine builder from Mazda in Japan, to your shop. And he'll give you a two-day class. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is actually leading to the answer to your question in about 30 minutes, apparently. <laughs> so the guy comes. I'm holding a sign, Fuji. I see him. We have a problem, Houston. He speaks zero English. But okay. apparently I don't speak Japanese either. But it, it, a rotary motor is fairly easy. We take it apart. We put it together. He shows me all the measurements, how to do all this, the cutting of the seals, of this and that. It's a fairly simple motor. 352 horsepower. Off to the races we go. My band of brothers were all Porsche mechanics. We all stay in one hotel room. We have this little box van, which is kind of a joke, but it somehow makes it across the country some of the times. We, and we start getting very good at what we do. We start winning races. So uh, pretty soon we start doing records in this little RX-7. We win six races in a row in IMSA. That was like a, a record at the time. It's between us and this Porsche RSR factory car, Jorge Treos from South America, who's winning the races. And on the scene, BMW shows up. And it's Tom Milner, and it's Pete Halsmer, uh, David Donahue, John Paul Jr., and they're racing. The problem is they're having a lot of bad luck, and we're beating them consistently every single weekend. Either I win or the Porsche wins. We're in it for the championship, and they are struggling. And I think they struggle for about a year and a half. And um, if we skip back just a little bit, I'd driven for Ferrari. It didn't pan out. Their program went away. I'd driven for Chrysler. Didn't pan out. Their program went away. Driven for Mazda didn't pan out, their program went away. You know, even though we were having success, it never stuck. And so I was forced to bring the Mazda back out. I was racing, that's when you were telling the story. I'm racing against BMW. And every single phone call that ever came to me was somebody I owed money to because all I wanted to do was race. I'm this 22, 23 year old kid. And it was like, I was using this credit card to pay for that clutch or this. Or, and this is how I went racing. It was all about the passion of racing. and and trying to get any sponsor you could get to go racing. I am now at my wit's end. Nothing has really worked. I had heard BMW is going to lose their program, you know, there because they hadn't brought any success. And I'm not, by nature, I don't think I'm a, a cocky guy at all. Like that's, I try to be the opposite of that, but so I go, let's try that. Let's see if that works. And I go to who was the marketing guy at the time, Jim, I think his name was Jim Widensall at BMW. He went to Eric Winsberg. And I said, hey, look, uh, let me drive for you in the next race, Texas World Speedway, and you're going to win a race. We'll win your first race together. And I thought I would try it. I didn't think it was going to work. And then uh, they said, all of a sudden, I get in contact with Tom Milner. We start talking. 
he says, okay, let me discuss it with BMW. I'll call you back. And he calls me back. And he says, how much money do you want to do the race? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can make money racing a car? I had no clue that you can, have, you can do this. So we come up with an agreement. Off we go to Texas World Speedway. The trucks pull up. You got the first union car. You got the Valvoline car. And the Valvoline car comes out of the truck all majestic. And I'm like, oh, is my name on that car? As it gets lowered down, no name. I'm like, huh, okay, must be on the first union car. Car comes out, gets lowered down, no name. I'm like, huh. Uh, and I don't quite get it. I don't know the people, so I don't say much yet. They pull up a fifth wheel trailer. They pull out a white BMW, and my name is on it. And my name is on it with a kid named Matt Cohen, who was just a customer at the time, who had just bought a car from Tom Milner, and there, and and my name's on that one. And I'm like, oh, they sort of maybe put me in a car just to get me out of the race, so maybe they could win a race. I think that's what it initially started out as. I get in the first practice session, and the car handles incredible like I understand the moment I sit in a BMW I understand everything about it right how what chassis was that was that the E36 M3 chassis or what chassis was that car E36 M3 chassis that was how I started with BMW right so um I I feel everything I understand the BMW philosophy the moment you sit in it and I agree with everything that's going on so the only thing I didn't agree with was down the straightaways we were super slow compared to the factory cars. And I asked this kid, Matt, I go, hey, um, what's going on? Why are we so slow? Like we're off 10 mile an hour, something like that. He goes, well, they just upgraded to the 3.2 liter motor and we got the 3.0, the three liter motor. And I said, how many, I go, do you have a 3.2? And he goes, no. I said, uh, I said, what happens if this thing blows up? He goes, they have to give me one of theirs. I said, you gotta blow this thing up. Now in racing history, nobody's ever tried to blow a motor up. This is, this is like, doesn't happen. You do everything you can to keep him alive. And he goes, how do you do it? At this point, we had a Hewland, straight cut, beautiful transmission, very fast to shift. And I tell him just, you got to stick it in the wrong gears, like on the straightaway, stick it in all the wrong gears. Now, mind you, this kid could have done it on any straightaway anywhere on the track, but he does it straight in front of us on the main straight in Texas World Speedway. When he goes to sixth gear, I think he goes to, I don't know if it's first or third, but I know... The noise got so high pitched, the dogs were squealing three miles away, and sure enough, it just starts losing its parts right at the bottom, and that was it. 3.2 liter motor goes in the car, and now I'm off in the next practice session, the fastest guy in practice, and now we are off to the races. So, um, BMW had had a problem with those diffs breaking. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know this. We go through practice, I get to qualifying, I'm gonna go qualify, the diff breaks on the first lap, so I'm dead last. The other cars are somewhere towards the front. Uh, we start the race, and I immediately start passing cars, and I get to the lead in a very short period of time. And within my first hour, I am almost lapping the entire field. So we are good to go. Remember, this in this day and age, when you pick your car, what car you're in, you are in that car. You're not allowed to jump around. In that day and age, a guy like Pete Halsmer, who was the main guy for the team, he would sit back and see which car is doing better, and that's the car he would jump into for points. Um, I figure I'm going to do very good in this race. I'm going. When I come in for my pit stop, Matt Cohen's going to get in, and because he's an amateur, he's not that good, he's going to fall back. I come in. The door opens. Who's standing there? Pete Halsmer. I'm like, oh, my gosh. He's going in the customer car. This is how much faith they have in this deal. Off he goes. He is leading the race. He makes it to maybe... Five or ten minutes from the end, the diff blows up again. BMW does not win their first race. And 
but the, the relationship was solidified right there. I could feel it. They said, let's, let's carry on our agreement. Uh, then we wound up going to Sears Point. We finished one, two, three. Uh, we finished lots of wins from then on. I think we're almost 27 years later in all these race wins and all these championships we've won together. We're still together and we're still winning and we're and it's it's been a great relationship ever since. Ever since. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's what, what would you say your favorite win was? I mean, you've had so many. I mean, what stands out as your favorite one? You know, a lot of times your favorite win gets superseded by something better and something. I guess that's what makes it your favorite, right? So here we go. We are just two years ago at Petit Le Mans. This will be race number six. 60, which ties me for the most wins in all of history. But it's not the win that mattered. It was the way it was done. This is a 10-hour race in Petit Le Mans, and it has been nose to tail with the factory Audi and the factory Mercedes. And we have led most of this race, but now we are in second place. And I am behind a guy named, I think his name's Felipe Fraga or something like that. And this is a very good guy, and I'm trying to work my way around him. And we are battling, and we're getting down to the, to the wire. And my guys, are, my guys on my team are like, he's not going to make it on gas. He's pitted too early to do the undercut on me. That's how he got to the lead. He's not going to make it. And off we go. We're going. We're going. I go, hey, we got like three laps left here. I think he's going to make it because he's still going hard. And then we get to the last lap of this race, and we are battling like crazy. He cuts me off going into 10A and 10B to start the last lap. And I'm like, all right, when you start doing this, now you open it up for we can get a little bit more physical, and we're going to do this. And I go, I get this crazy run up turn one, I jump turn three, all of a sudden he has a bobble, touches, touches off. And I think the bobble was two things. A, he's running out of gas and I had a really good run. I slip by. My team screams on the radio. Yeah, I can hear them all screaming. I'm like, A, why are you hitting the button and screaming in my ear? And B, I still got the factory Audi literally half a car behind me trying to go by. So I said, hang tight, hang tight. Half more left to go. Off I go. We complete that race. That's race number 60. It was like a ton of weights were released off of me. And it was so exciting and so fun that um, that was probably my absolute favorite when I, when I crossed that line. It was pretty good. That's a great story. And what about cars? What's your favorite car that you've raced so far? Um, you know, you'd have to, well. The ultimate favorite. Before, but I mean, when I first went to Le Mans, uh, I went there, BMW brought me there to get ex Le Mans experience, so I went in the McLaren, the long tail LM, which mm -hmm. was the later version. Uh, yeah, this was a Gordon Murray, beautiful V12, uh, just an amazing sounding car, right? So here I am in pit lane, and I'm leaving pit lane in the race. It's dark, and, and you can just hear that. You're on the pit speed limiter, so you hear this thing just growling down the road. You already know you have hot tires because you have tire warmer, so you are immediately up to speed. I release that pit speed limiter. It is like you're getting shot out of a cannon. There's people hanging at that time over the guardrail. So I am a foot away from them, ripping by them. And every time I hit the brakes, I can see my brake wires lighting up off the guardrails on the side, and I see like flames going across the trees. And you hear the 12-cylinder motor just making this crazy sound. And at you know, 200 miles an hour, when I pull the next ship, and those restrictors are right above your head, and you hear that V12 screaming. I always said, I'm like, holy cow, I am so much better looking when I drive this car. <laughs> I've got this beautiful hair. I'm like, this car made you feel different. Okay, that's one thing. Then you just get to just plain brute animal car, and that's the BMW V12 LMR. 
Every, that car was designed to win Le Mans. That's, that's its single purpose. It was a, a joint venture between Williams Formula One in their heyday and BMW. And uh, that was a crazy car. That car had so little a drag on it and really reasonable cutting edge downforce that every gear you pulled, pulled exactly the same as the last one and it never stopped. So you would go right past 200 miles an hour and just pull the next gear and it just kept on going. So for pure speed, that would be that would be the best. McLaren, because it made you feel incredible. And the BMW E46, the GTR, the V8 powered one, just because nobody could touch that car. That car was so cutting edge that at the time we could have, nobody knew it. We held back so much, we could have beat the Corvettes, but we were just trying to place ourselves next to the Porsches and we won every single race with that car. Yeah, I just nice. saw that car in um, in Munich at the BMW Welt, and I thought about that 2001 um, season that you had with Boris. Said that was that was probably my favorite one to watch. You guys just dominated, and I, that's my favorite. Oh yeah, the sound of that was beautiful. The flames that it would throw, and the fact that it was just so fast at the time for what it was. It was a it was it's a real pleasure to drive that car. It was nice. I bet. It was one of the loudest race cars I've ever heard. I heard you drive it at Barber at uh, at BMW at Oktoberfest, and oh, it was yeah. just ear-splitting just how loud that car is. Crazy. So you still have the chance to sometimes get behind those cars, right? I mean, I've seen you quite a few times at Laguna Seca in uh, different settings where you still have the chance to go and drive some of those iconic racing cars. What was the question? I didn't hear it. Uh, I mean, the question was, you know, do you still enjoy going back and actually driving them, you know, from time to time, even though if it's not in a race format, just to have some fun. Absolutely. I mean, like now they, I just raced the BM, uh, the historics in Monterey, you know, the, yeah. the, the Rolex mm. race, the historics. And I raced an e, the E92 M3. How that's considered a historic is beyond me. <laughs> still so balanced and so fun and so racy, very enjoyable, very cutting. It could still compete today if they just mm. did certain old tricks to it. But, um, I enjoy it. I enjoy that. I really like when they do weird things like we get to bring the 320i turbo out, you know, like the, the David Hobbs car. Yeah. Very man. rare. Um, but, you know, if they stick in like a 2002, it be, it's a little less fun just because I'm so yeah. used to the power of the other cars mm-hmm. and the handling. But the whole lineup, M1, CSL, these cars all have so much neat history that when you drive them, you realize – you. You can sort of sit back and realize the history that's been made with all these cars. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. And as far as a racing format, what would be your favorite? Is it Le Mans or is there is there like a specific uh, racing format that you enjoy? Hmm. Uh, for like, are we talking about a track or a series? A uh, track, track, really. Track. So you know, twelve hours, twenty-four hours, or shorter stints. I've I've always wondered which one you actually enjoy most. Yeah, you. I mean. Uh, you've done it all, so the the twenty four hour is is amazing and horrifying. It can be on the same weekend. Reason being, if you're leading, it's incredible. If you're in the top two, three, and you're racing, if you had something break in the first two hours of the race and you're twenty laps down, and now all you're gonna do is circulate for the next twenty three hours, it's the worst because you can't race. You're just gonna be driving, and and that's not fun. But yeah. I like 24 hours. I love the 12 hours of Sebring because it's it's so historical. Mm-hmm. I like Japanese circuits, a lot of them, like Suzuka, because it's so impressive. Um, but ultimately, lately, one of my favorites has been Road America. Just when we go there, yeah. because the track has everything still has grip. It's still exciting and fun. You got that kink you get to throw it into. 
Every once in a while, you wind up on a guardrail just to keep yourself straight when you crash into it. But uh, that's one of my favorite tracks by far. Gotcha. Did you have a chance to race at the Nurburgring? Uh, uh, GP circuit. I've never raced okay. the, the long circuit, if you can imagine uh, just that. Just a shorter one. You know what? That's never been on my, uh, it's never been on my bucket list. You know, really? they've asked me to go a few times. I just, just never really happened. I'd rather do Spa or um, Bathurst. These are on my bucket list of races I've never done. And what's the reason for that? You know. feel like they're faster tracks or? Spa, the Spa track reminds me of a fast, fun, flowing track. And that m matches my style, right? So yeah. every driver has a certain style, even sure. though your job is to be the best on every track. But a track where you can really pull on that wheel hard and step on that throttle really hard, that suits me really well. And that seems like what that would be. Gotcha. And if you look back at the generation of drivers of your time and the new generation of drivers, do you see any major differences? Like how has racing evolved when it comes to the actual driver? Um, in the old days, um, a driver wasn't as, as seasoned coming into racing at the young age. Right now, now they, they start younger. They have um, simulators that they drive all the time. There's so much access to getting better before they sit in that the best of the best, you know, the, these guys get in there and they're right away fast, right? Gotcha. So they're, they're trickier to deal with right off the bat. They don't have the, they don't have the season, but they have the speed coming out right away. Um, the old days, people were more gentle. You just look at stuff. I mean, to a point, unless you get to the, I don't know if you remember, but the Jack Baldwin, Willie T. Ribs days, Scott Pruitt, these guys were beating up on each other and that was fun, yeah. but it was a little more gentle driving now. In GTD now, it's it's really it's good, solid, very hard racing that I really enjoy. Um, but I've been through it all. I've been through when there was no technology to too much technology to the all. You know, I've I've evolved with it, and so I'm 52 years old, right? There's nobody. It's very few racing drivers that are 52, mm -hmm. and then to still be winning and competing, and mm -hmm. I'm leading two of the championships that I'm running with Turner right now, coming right to the wire. I'm having I'm having probably the best season I've ever had right this year. Yeah, I was going to save that for uh, for the last, but since you touch on that, tell me why the synergy with Turner. What what has changed? Because I know you've you've joined him in 2019, right? And ever since you guys have been extremely successful. I drove. Well, I won two championships with Turner in the 90s. Gotcha. Then I got taken away to go to Ray Hall, so I was gone for a while, uh, and now I I, just, I come back to a, a very familiar place because I've been with them for many years. Yeah. Um, but it took a moment to get the M6, the GT3 car, where we wanted it, I think. Yeah. Now we're, we're very good with it. It's our last year with the M6. The mm -hmm. M6 is a little bit of a compromise. It has its great days, but you take it to a place that's super tight and twisty, and it's going to struggle because it's such a big car. Sure. Um, but we've, we've made it happen all year long. We've won races. We've been on the podium. We've been quick everywhere we go. Uh, I I love driving that car. It's the you know it's the twin turbo V8. You know more about it than I do, but the power is coming on very good. The Michelin tire is very good, and the team knows what they're doing. We need we have three more races. We're going to Long Beach. Everybody's stressing out going to Long Beach now because we're leading the points. It's very tight at the front with the points, and their last their last memory of Long Beach and my last memory of Long Beach are two very different memories, right? I was in the M6 with Ray Hall on the pole. I got the pole position and I was running away until my ECU basically failed. It was the first year of the M6. They were 
bottom of the pack, struggling, crashed, you, you name it. So we've actually gone to the, I've, I've gone into the archives and we've pulled out my setups from the day and yeah. their setups from the day. And we're trying to cross compare. Where do you think your issue was and how can we adapt things from the Ray Hall setup over to there? And I think we're going we're gonna to come up with a much better plan and execute better. We need to beat Vantor in the Porsche and we need to beat the Aston Martin. And because uh, if either of them beat us, they go into the lead. That's the trick. So we have to, yeah. we have to just keep winning and be reliable gotcha. and keep it off the wall. I mean, I've won there twice or three times. I can't remember. But I've also finished second there probably four times and third there quite a few times. I love that track. Technically, that would have been my home track because I used to live 15 minutes away from there. Okay. But I love it. I'll be there. Uh, we're leaving there tomorrow. So oh, yeah. We'll drive. I'm in Arizona now. Uh, we'll drive there and be there tomorrow. Nice. Wow. Um, I got a question for you. I think racing car drivers all seem like they're fearless. Um, what What's the one thing that scares you when you're in a race car? You know. Um, nothing. Zero. You, you think about it afterwards. You don't think yeah. about it at the time. There's one thing, right? And it's, um, first of all, nothing scared me. Like I'm prepared to die. What, like in that car, it doesn't matter to me. I've lived my entire life uh, by a stopwatch and by speed. And I've, I've created my life to never have anything pull me back by speed. I don't know. If the, so to, to make a little bit of sense of that means... Sure. Never had kids because I think you'd have something bigger to think about, right? Um, yeah. I've never developed something that was was more important than the racetrack. Super yeah. selfish. It's the worst. It's probably not healthy in your life or whatever, but it keeps you fast at 52, so I'm not yeah. going to change it right now. Definitely right working. Now. Uh, and then to get back to your question, what was your question again? Uh, what scares you in a race car? Oh, yeah, so there was something. Okay, so... The worst thing is if you're in a, in a heavy rain, let's say you're going 180 miles an hour and all of a sudden you're just zipping down the straightaway and you hit a big patch of water and the car does one of these all of a sudden at 180, 190 miles an hour. You, you ever had something that, that got you really good that 10 seconds later your heart starts and you feel, the, you feel the adrenaline going moments later? Like at first you reacted to it and then I'm like, oh, that was horrible. That could have been so bad, you know? Those are the those are the worst things. The rain. I love racing in the rain. I hate hydroplaning in the rain. So there's a fine line between how much water I like on the track. Then what about that backflip in 2000 at uh, Road Atlanta? Oh yeah. What's your memory of that? Oh, because I've seen some YouTube videos and it's pretty crazy. Isn't it funny? So we went to Le Mans first. So that when I was in Le Mans, I was in the LM. I think that year when the when Weber and I think Dumbreck, all these guys in the Mercedes were doing these backflips. Yeah. Remember that year when they were all? Yeah, yeah, I think I, yeah. I read about that. I haven't seen it yet. And, uh, and then, and then every, all the cars were designed a certain way. And in my mind, the cars had these huge flat bottoms under the car, a massive rear wing, and then uh, most of the downforce was made on the nose and the front splitter. And the problem was if somebody covered your nose up with their car from the air, your rear wing was still pushing the car down. Now this, now this, this flat floor got an angle and the car would just take off, right? So um, BMW came out with basically your circle of safety around the car. You can never race closer to somebody than X. And, and we abided by that because there was a safety thing. I, I'm in Petit Le Mans. I'm coming down the back straight and I'm putting the, uh, 
the Olive Garden car down by a lap. And he, I'm sure he doesn't want to do it. So he's coming in front of me. Mind you, I come out of motocross racing. My whole, and I had already pre-thunk this. This is 2000. I'm a much younger guy. This is going to be simple, right? In motocross, if I go off a triple and I'm going a little too nose high, what do you do? You touch the brake, it comes right back down. How hard is this? This is not very hard. So if, in my mind, if a car ever starts to go up, I'm going to react so fast and we hit the brake, it's going to come right back down. Why doesn't, did you ever watch, there's a Yannick Dalmas crash where he does the same thing on the back straight in, in Atlanta. I haven't seen it. He goes so long on the rear wheels. I'm like, why did you not hit the brakes? This is all in my mind, right? So this is 2000. I'm a genius yeah. at that point. So the guy comes right in front of me and I feel my head buffeting, which is not normal because normally you wouldn't be that close to somebody. And I'm like, ooh, this is tighter than the Schnitzer BMW allowance here. And sure enough, instantly the thing picks the nose up and starts flying away. And mind you, this is before um, Hans devices. So it gets up about 20, 20, 20 something feet. And then it flipped over really quick. And as it does, it's really quick flip. I get bent over all the way down. I'm looking straight down from the G-force. And I'm thinking, oh man, don't land on your head because you're going to be uglier than you are now if you put your head in the dirt. So it actually makes a complete flip. It lands on the rear wheels and we're still going 180 miles an hour straight in the direction. I bounce off a wall. It's not pretty, but... Uh, I hear this noise. I hear this, all this racket's happening. Lights are lit on the dash. I'm like, what the hell? And not only was I not hitting the brake, I was still completely flat on the gas. I never lifted off the throttle. You just, you just tense in, you know, when something yeah. like that happens and the reactions go right out the window. Uh, at least for me, that's what happened. But that was their Le Mans winning car that I broke the gearbox off and the engine off and all that stuff. So they were very impressed with that. And uh, <laughs> you're here to talk about it. That's the good thing. Yeah, exactly. So that was, a, that was a little scary experience though, right? I mean, it's got to be... You know, I, I bounced, I hit the wall, I bounced off the wall, and then you have so much adrenaline going, I jumped right out of the car because you don't know if it's on fire or what or yeah. what. Mm -hmm. And then in the video, you see me walk over and I touch my elbow because you don't know if you've actually hit something so hard that you've cut half your arm off or something. Yeah. But luckily, that cockpit was so strong that it did exactly what it was supposed to do. And, and I didn't land on the wall, luckily, because I just landed and right when I landed I punched into the wall and bounced off so all the hits were just the way you want to do it nothing stopped the car too quickly you want the energy to just dissipate it literally was like an airplane crash crashing for half a mile down the street where it came down to a stop weighed at the end of the straightaway so, and so yeah. the part of you checking your arm is just checking to make sure your body parts are there not you didn't get hurt exactly you're I mean you ever seen somebody like these movies the guy gets shot he's like oh and he looks because I think you don't, you don't feel pain in that moment. You know, it takes a moment. But um, I felt something. I didn't know what it was. And you're wondering what's in the suit. You know, did something happen in there? Totally pretty fine. You know, that wasn't the bad one. I've had some, some way worse ones like in the GTR when I crashed. And that was bad. So, man, I couldn't race for two weeks. I've been knocked out quite a few times in racing. Like in the older days. The new stuff is so safe. The old days... You know, I've probably been knocked out 15 times, I'll bet you, in my career. Really? So it's been, I, I haven't gotten any smarter as I've gotten older, that's for sure. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you, you know, um, what type of safety improvements have you seen in more recent BMWs versus the past? Like something specific that you say, okay, this is really making me safer than ever before. You know, um, the safety improvements maybe have stopped in the last five years. They've all been yeah. very similar. Roll gauge, seats now that are fixed. In the old days, mm -hmm. the seats used to move on, on sliders. And gotcha. so I used to drive with Borisette. He's six feet two, right? 
So he I get out of the car. He gets in. He moves the seat back, which you would expect in a normal car. All yeah. the new seats, and the problem is when you have a rail like that, it's thin sheet metal, that how they work, you would rip the seat right off the rails and you'd be now bouncing around the car. The new stuff is fixed. The seats are going nowhere. And the pedals are on these beautiful rollers. So that's how we do it now. That's, a, that's the latest thing. So the seats are the strongest. Uh, your seat belts are fairly similar to what we've had for many years. The roll cages are fairly similar. Similar. What's improved so much is you have now have ABS that's so good. You have traction control that's so good. You have so many systems that, that save you before the crash. So how many, you see a lot less crashes than you used to because drivers can run out of talent and the car still will keep you in bounds. So I liked it in the past where it relied more on skill of the driver and now you can push so hard over the top and something will pull you back. You know, if you've ever looked at my steering wheel, especially the new one, when you see the new M4, which is similar to the M8, which I raised, you have knobs, you're controlling traction control, not only that, how the traction comes on, how I want the throttle to come on, how I want my anti-lag to come on. I can control so many things to tailor to my kind of driving that it just makes driving the car so so much easier and that keeps you from the wreck. Gotcha. Very, very cool. Who would you say would be your biggest competitor, you know, like on the track? What, who has been your biggest competitor? Like, I'm assuming every racing driver has someone that they feel like they need to compete with all the time. Mm. Um... It, it changes. I mean, right now we talked about Vantor. The guy's the guy's the guy's tough on me. Whenever we race together, yeah. he's tough. When he was in GTLM and I was racing GT3, we still wind up hitting each other all the time. And I'm a, at the end of the race, I'm like, what What are you doing? Right? He's just. It used to be Tandy for sure. It's how come it's always a Porsche driver? But it was Tandy before that. Yeah, you've hit Tandy. You you and Tandy have tan, tangled a lot. You and Nick Tandy have banged a but, ton. They're so skilled and they're so good that they don't have to drive with what I think is a just they've gone in. They've gone from skill to amazing to desperation. And it's when you get in there that you start doing moves that that I hey maybe the fans love it. It's fun to watch when yeah. two guys get into it or whatever. But from my perspective, it just makes it less. We don't have to race like that, you know, mm -hmm. and then what you do. You can't imagine you're going to put one over on me, and then we get to the next race, and I'm going to be like, oh, you want to do it again? Oh, it's going to come right back to you, and I'm going to do it. If, if, if it was unfairly what, unfair what they did to me, it's going to come back way worse, mm -hmm. right? And, yeah. and that's how racing is. You've got to seek justice, I guess. I don't know. What I was leading with this was actually, I do have a story. Maybe I never told you this story, but we were together at uh, Laguna Seca years back. I think it was the M6 Coupe Lounge. And um, I, I had a chance to jump behind the wheel with uh, Andreas Bovensippen from uh, Alpina. And for some reason, you were the leading car. And, and Andreas decided to start racing you. And I was in the car with him. Oh, no. And, and then I realized how competitive you were, but he was as well. And I would say it's probably one, one of my uh, fondest memories from any BMW lounge because it was incredible seeing the two of you racing in those two street cars, like literally bumper to bumper. And at some point, Andreas was pissed off because the radio started to fly all over the car. <laughs> and, uh, and then he said, well, you know, he's only faster than me because he's on this track all the time, you know, and, and that's why he actually knows the track a little bit better than I do. But... It was it was fantastic. I mean, from my point of view, those two three laps, you guys were going at it. You probably don't even remember, but it was it was memorable seeing you know that from the passenger side, you know. So that's when I realized how competitive you are too. But oh yeah, you know him also. <laughs> As humans, we're we're competitive. It's funny. I drive with my girlfriend home, and 
I'll always play that. Oh, we just did something here. Let's, and I'll have to floor it. I'll have to like accelerate. A guy races me. I don't care. It could be a Pinto and I'm in my MA competition. And if he accelerates, yeah. I got to go. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's, I'm, I see myself as like a ding dong greyhound dog, you know, and when the rabbit takes off out of the chute, they don't know why, but they got to chase it. And that's just my life. I've, I always want to chase and be the fastest and try to be the best. And that's kind of been my... Is that how you've gotten yourself into these massive horsepower um, power boats? I mean, the, the pictures you post on Instagram and Facebook with those boats are just amazing. Well, that's... So that, that came about from two different reasons. Remember when I told you I used to run my own race team, my, my R, RX-7, when I was running? I had to do the engine mapping, the programming, the building... Any, when we would build new front ends or new aerodynamics, we were all doing it in-house. So now you, you, have, you, you know a lot of things, and then when you finally drive for the BMW factory, you're not allowed to touch a thing again. All you can do is talk to them, so you got these idle hands, and you got to do something. So eventually, I got into power boats and loved it and loved all this power, and then I started braking boats, and this was even worse. Like the outdrives on the back, I could make 1,500 horsepower easy and they would be reliable all day long, I would blow what's called the outdrive, the thing that spins a propeller on the back, I would break those off every trip. So much so that I'd be boating with all my friends, they're in their boats, I'm in mine. They go, which way are you going? I'm like, let's just say north. They're like, we're all going south because they know they're gonna be towing me back, right? So I got so frustrated that one day I said, this is not acceptable. And I started to design my own outdrive. And I designed it with a company called Multimatic, who is the designer of the Ford GT, they build a bunch of parts for four. It's a big company. And we yeah. did aerodynamic testing. We did wind tunnel testing, CFD modeling. I mean, this thing was developed so neat that we wound up producing our own outdrives called X-Power Drive. We put them on the boat. And then I'm like, oh, this is a good excuse to build the craziest boat ever. So I built this boat that made six, at the time, it was 1,610 horsepower in a 32-foot boat. And it was a rocket ship. Like, it was so fast. I would do 170, 180 all the time, fine. So one day I'm out there and I go, I wanna see how fast this thing will go. And mind you, if I'm driving a race car and I'm going down a straightaway, I can feel everything. And I know if something's wrong, I know when to get out, I know, just from experience. Yeah. Now I've driven boats for a lot of my life, but I don't have that racing experience, right? So I'm going down the lake, it's 25 miles long, 180, 185, 188, 191, 191 and a half. And I'm, a, I'm my objective is in my own built boat to go 200. Yeah. And it's, it's, you spend so much time, not, like you've probably been doing this, you're, you're at speed for a minute now trying to achieve the speed. And I'm thinking, holy cow, what happens now? Like, I don't know, everything was the same as it was at 120, as it was at 130, 150, yeah. 170, 190. Uh, I just got scared. I just just because I thought, I've seen pictures of boats blowing over. We've all seen this, right? And it never yeah, works yeah. out very well. So I just pulled out of the throttle. So I, I did not achieve my goal, but the other goal of building crazy boats that go fast with crazy stereos, we put them in boat shows and stuff like that. That's a passion of mine and I love it. It's an expense. I do love to sail also. Sailing with uh, 3,200 horsepower. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I like so it. When you went to, so uh, when you went to Bahamas, it was actually a powerboat, right? It was, well, it wasn't a powerboat. Oh, well, I've done that also, but we just went on a trip to the Bahamas, and this was different. You're on islands that are literally a mile long, and you're sitting in these yeah. little houses. That's where we stayed, and you have your yeah. own Boston whaler, and you go from island to island to island. Now, this was a 20-foot boat, and you're just roaming around, and 
totally different. Equally as enjoyable, but different. Love gotcha. it. All right. Let me ask you about um, production series BMW. So, you know, being with BMW for so long, you probably had a chance to have a lot of company cars, you know, so to speak. Anything that's memorable to you or anything that you've enjoyed quite a lot? Uh, yeah, you, you enjoy They build to purpose, right? And um, so you, shoot, you've been there probably when we've done X6 and X5 launch and launches on racetracks. Right. And these things are incredible, but that's not the purpose, but they do it, which is crazy. But yeah. I've had X6s and BMW would die. Well, they've seen it. They just look the other way. They're the best towing cars ever. Those ever. are some of my favorite pictures when you're towing those massive horsepower boats yeah. with your with so, S yeah. X6M. I, I love those pictures. And I always told BMW, you know what you should do? The, the X6M is so fast that the commercial should be the X6, the little X6M pulls up next to like a Ford F-150. I'm not, I'm not bashing any Ford F-150 people, so don't, don't get mad at me. You're side by side. He looks at you like a oh, little, little car, and you look at him, and he's revving his motor, and you race. And it's, it's a close race, but you start pulling ahead of him. And then when you go by, you're pulling a 32-foot boat as well when you go by him. And it would. They are rockets. I mean, I, I wouldn't say the weight of that boat, but it might have been a lot for it, and it does it like a dream. Okay. Get past that. I love that car. I love the way it goes on that track. I have so much yeah. fun driving it on the track. Um, currently, probably one of the best cars I've ever had is the M8 Competition. You have the M8, yeah. Oh, man. It's so fast. You, it's mind-boggling how fast it was, uh, how fast it is, that I, I, when I tell people I'm going to accelerate from a line now and they've, they've never been in one, I tell them to put their head against the seat. Otherwise, it will snap their head back really hard. I mean, they're, yeah. they're so quick. That powertrain is amazing. I love that turbocharged V8 with the hot V and, and the turbo in the middle and the all-wheel drive. It just puts the power down so well. When I do lapping days, normally, like if you lap with the M4 or something like that, you keep your traction control on to sort of get, save you. With the four-wheel drive and the M8, I turn it off. It's, it doesn't even need it. It never gets in the way. It's, um, it's easy to drive. The four-wheel drive is intuitive. It knows in the old days you'd have understeer and this and that. Now it's torque vectoring and pulling you out of corners and doing everything yeah. right. You got the ceramic brakes. They've made a car that they could only be done in this era because the technology to make that kind of power dead reliable and, and that nice to drive. And you still got your air conditioning and your air conditioned seats and all your luxuries. And it's in a package that goes that fast. You would never think it's a heavy car. I mean, it's definitely not the lightest car, but yeah. the days of saying, oh, my car is heavy or light is kind of gone. Because they can make a car feel nimble and light, even though it's not the lightest car. No. Yeah, and that brings me back to, um, I was going to ask you about the new M3 and M4. Back in February, you and I um, spent some time with our car just a little bit um, in Florida. But have you had a chance to drive the car since? No, not at all. I've so been so busy racing that, that yeah. the only BMW events I've done lately are like Indy when we go there. And I, I take people... For rides in the gt force and then they drive the new gt4 race cars have you ever have uh -huh. you seen that lately uh i've not seen that one actually no what, how yeah you guys should why are you not there it's incredible no we actually did a gt4 actually um uh nate rich one of our guys went to palm springs last year and he did a um kind of like one day gt4 racing school that, so it, these people show up they pay to be in the school 
at first they put them in streetcars just so they get used to the track, yep. where Indy's mm-hmm. going, the road course, how they're doing it. They get instructions. They, they yep. get almost one-to-one instructor versus driver in training. And yep. then they get fitted to the race car. I mean, this is, a, mm-hmm. this is what I race as one of my categories. It's, it's the lower category, but it's a real race car. They sit in it, all the dash, all the crazy stuff going on. They show them all the buttons, how it works. And they're all intimidated at this point because it's a lot of carbon fiber, a lot of stuff going on. And I told them, don't worry. When you drive this car, it's going gonna, it's gonna to remind you of the street car, except it's going to be way faster, but it's going to remind you of it, and it's not going to do anything dumb. And they all drive it. They have no racing experience. They drive the car, and they're like, this was the most amazing experience ever. So Yeah, I think I was supposed to join you, actually, back in August. I think early August, there, was a, there were a few days at Indy. And I was supposed to come, but for some reason, uh, the schedule uh, didn't got, work you out. You have to do it. You're going to love it. You, we should do it when you're, when you're there. I want to make sure I'm there when you're there. It'll be fun. <laughs> make sure that I'm not crashing. <laughs> good. All right. So let me ask you one final question. I don't want to keep you too long. So next year, they're going to, uh, so BMW Motorsport, they're going to bring out the uh, M4 GT3. And I know you probably didn't have a chance to drive the car, but from the specs and from what you've heard, how exciting it is to go from the M8 GTLM, you know, to, um, to the M4 GT3. Um, well, you remember when we said the M8 and the M6 were big cars, yeah. uh, and that was what I thought was the weak point of the car. Like it's too big. It, it's not nimble in tight corners. You'll lose time yeah. in tight little hairpins and stuff. Well, the M4 is longer. It's, I think 10 millimeters longer and like a foot longer on the bodywork overhangs. Sure. Uh, so I'm like, oh, that, how, why would they make something bigger? Right. It doesn't make sense yeah. to me. Every single driver, you know, all my counterparts in Europe, all my teammates are over there driving and testing and testing. They say it's by far the best GT3 car they've ever driven. So I have to go by what they say. Uh, I think we're going to get our hand. We've, it's already in the U.S. We've all seen it. So uh, we're going to start doing some stuff with it soon. And it's going to be not what people expect. When they see how this car gets debuted, it's going to be very strange in the U.S. Very cool. So... Okay. I don't you probably already know what it is, whatever, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. They just told me not to say. Yeah, cool. And I think the first race, it's uh, Daytona 24 hours next year, so that's the first official race. Yep, yep, cool. All right. Um, I guess let's end on a, on a uh, very positive note, and what kind of advice would you give any young racing drivers that want to get started into this fascinating world of motorsports? Um, well, uh it's it's not like it's not like baseball football where where basically you show up at school you get very good and there's a possibility you could get picked up right out of high school yeah. so the investment could be small the, in racing it's tough to get into because the investment's kind of large so you need to get a backer or a sponsor somebody to get in there now you're in now you're learning how to do it and you're moving forward and it's going to take some time i get it it's going to get very tough Anything in life that is coveted, Tom Cruise as an actor or uh, to be a heart surgeon, brain surgeon, a race car driver, there's a wall. There is a definite, when you think I cannot go anymore because this has been too much drain on my life, this is too hard, I'll never make it, that's the wall you have to push through. You never stop, you never take no for an answer. I, I was told when I was 22 I was too old, right? And, uh, and if I were to listen to those people, you push through and you need to be well-rounded. You need to, you need to be good at getting some funding in the beginning. You need to be good at speaking to people. You need to be good at your lap time. Obviously, that's going to be the most important thing. And you just don't crash too much. But 
push through and never quit. It will be a great, once you do make it, it's a great life and it's fun. And it, I'm very happy I made it. Gotcha. That's solid advice. I am especially coming from you with so many wins and so many races under your belt. So, Bill, um, once again, thank you. I always appreciate the time that you're giving me. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's always fun talking to you. Definitely look forward to seeing you at the next event. Always fun, fun, fun stories to hear from you. Yeah. So, for which, sure. And which one are you going to next? Are you going to any? Uh, yeah, so I think um, the US one, I'm actually going to be at Test Fest. Um, I'll be there. End of October in Palm Springs. I'll see you there. Okay, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So there are a lot of cars there, so we can have some I, fun. Yeah, I, I actually plan to bring uh, yeah. like a lot of GoPros and, and put them in your car and kind of see you know what you can do with all the new cars, like the M, the uh, two series and all these new ones that sure. come out. So Can't that'll wait. be quite that'll cool. Be great. Yeah, exactly. So and good luck also with your race this this weekend. Okay, thank you. I, I hope need you guys it. bring yeah. it home. Everybody cross their fingers and say a little prayer. We need to get out of Long Beach with that championship lead going yeah. to VIR. VIR is good for us. And then Atlanta, we've won. So uh, we just need to get out of this thing with the lead. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. All right, guys. We'll see you soon. Have a great day. See you.